You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so tonight, Bezras Hashem, we're going to be continuing with Rabbi Nachman's story of the seven beggars. Now, last week we left off having met the deaf beggar, and the deaf beggar says to the lost children who got married in the pit, buried in the mud, surrounded by the impoverished and the destitute beggars, and he said, you thought I was deaf, you thought I couldn't hear anything, But in truth, I could hear so deeply that the sounds that emerge out of the lack and despondency of this world are meaningless to me. They're so insignificant to me that they don't even resound within my ears. So I appear deaf, but in truth, I can hear very, very well. And in the forest, when I met you in your lostness, in your impoverishment, in your fear, I offered you a blessing that you should have a good life like me. And the deaf beggar comes and he says, now I am offering it to you as a gift that you should live a good life like me. Now on the fourth night of the Sheva Brachos, as the children who were lost in the forest, starving, saved by the destitute beggars, saved by the impoverished creatures of the night, as they sit, in the pit dug into the mud, covered in trash, incredibly joyous, incredibly joyous, they encounter the fourth guest of the Sheva Brachos. And this is the stuttering beggar. The stuttering beggar who on the fourth day as the children were lost in the forest came to them and said, here I am to offer you, I'm sorry, it's the third day. The third day. Thank you. It's the third day. It's not the fourth day. That's an important mistake not to make. The third day, the stuttering beggar comes back and he says, on the third day, the young couple remembered the third beggar who had come to them in the forest and given them bread to eat. And they began to cry and long for him saying, if only the beggar who stutters could be here. At that moment, he appeared and he said, Hineni, here I am. Again, reminding us that what the children thought they had lost all along, that stuttering beggar who had saved them in the darkness of their experience and the children were convinced that he had departed. He was never truly gone, but rather he was awaiting the moment for the children to be mitga'ageya and to be bolcha acharav. That the crying and the yearning after the stuttering beggar is not a cause that leads to the effect of the stuttering beggar emerging once again, but rather it is the tool that reveals that the stuttering beggar and the deaf beggar and the blind beggar had been there all along, as if to teach us that the gifts that we receive in moments of destitution, the hisairus and the excitement that we find in times of darkness and concealment and impoverishment, 
they never leave us. It's simply our job to reveal that they have always already been present. And the way of revealing that is the yearning. The way of revealing that is by desiring and crying for that which we feel is lacking. And the moment that the two beggars who are married in the pit in the mud begin to long for the beggar, he says, Hineni, here I am. And he fell upon their necks and he kissed them and he hugged them and he said, you see, I have come to celebrate your wedding and my gift is that you should be just like me. I blessed you in the forest that you should be like me. And now I am offering you as a pure gift that you should be like me. And you think I stutter, says the beggar who with the kvedus hapeh. You think I can't speak? In truth, I have no speech impediment whatsoever. It's just that most things that are spoken and said in this world lack the praise of Hashem. They lack the praise of God and they are incomplete. It is speech that emerges from a place of chisaron, of lack. That's why I make my tongue stutter and stammer because the language that I'm speaking is entirely different than the language of the rest of the world. Because when it comes to utterances that are missing the praise of Hashem, I want to stutter. I want to show as if I have absolutely nothing to say. But the truth is, I am not the least bit a stutterer or a stammerer whatsoever. On the contrary, I am a renowned speaker. I am an orator and I am a poet and I am a singer. And when I begin to recite poems and psalms and to tell riddles, there isn't a creature in the world who doesn't bend their ear to listen to me. There isn't a creature in the world who doesn't draw near me to hear what I have to say. For all of the wisdom of the world is contained within my poems and within my riddles. And I have testimony to this, testimony to the fact that my speech is in truth the greatest speech in the world. Who do I have testimony to this from? It is from the man of true righteousness, from the Ish HaChesed Shel Emes, from the true man of kindness. And in order to understand this, there is an entire tale that needs to be told. And the stuttering beggar continues and he says, once upon a time there was a gathering of wise men and each and every one of them boasted of their wisdom one bragged that he had the wisdom to discover iron, and another claimed that he was smart enough to create silver. Still another boasted that he knew how to make gold. And amongst the rest of them, all sorts of weaponry they spoke about that they were capable of creating. And there was a man who said that he knew how to make all of these metals. And so they were all boasting back and forth until one man got up and said, I am wiser than all of you because I am as wise as today. I am as wise as Hayom. And since nobody understood what he was saying, he explained, all of your wisdom, all of your insight is taken from a certain day. And just as there were six days of creation where God revealed certain potencies in the world, so too, each of you take your wisdoms from a particular day. But even if I were to gather all of your wisdom, it wouldn't even amount to one day. 
it would amount to specific hours. But me, said the wisest amongst all of them, I have the wisdom of the day itself. And I, who happened to be there at that moment, said the stuttering beggar, ask this wise man who said that he was as wise as the day. And I said, you're as wise as which day? Which day are you as wise as? And the man answered, he says, this man who asks the question is even wiser than I am. And again, it was too difficult for the others to understand. And they turned to me, said the stuttering beggar, to explain it to them. And the stuttering beggar began to speak what, in my humble opinion, are some of the most beautiful, heartbreaking, painful, redemptive words ever spoken. The stuttering beggar begins and he says, No, da, that there is a mountain, and on this mountain there is a stone, and there is a spring that gushes forth from that stone. And on the other side of the world there is another mountain, and the heart of the world lives on that mountain. For everything has a heart, and the world as a whole has a heart. And the heart of the world is a complete form, a body, a face, hands and feet. And even the toenail of the heart of the world is more heartful than the heart of even the greatest individual. Now this heart is always longing and yearning and desiring to reach the spring. For the yearning of the heart for the spring is very deep. And the spring likewise longs for the heart but the heart has two weaknesses. The sun beats down on it relentlessly. And the other weakness is the sheer exhaustion that emerges out of the constant yearning to connect to the stone and the spring that emerges from that stone. So when the heart needs to rest and to catch its breath, a great bird emerges and it spreads its wings and it shelters the heart from the sun. But even when the heart is resting, it turns to the spring in yearning. When the heart stands on the mountain peak, it can see the top of the other mountain where the spring is. Now, says the stuttering beggar, since the heart yearns so much for the spring, why doesn't it just go there? Because to come closer, the heart would have to descend the mountain. And if the heart were to descend the mountain, it wouldn't be able to see the top of the other mountain, where the spring is. And if the heart doesn't see the top of the mountain where the spring is for even one moment, the soul of the heart of the world would die, it would expire. And if the heart dies, the whole world will cease to exist because the heart is the source of all life in the world. And therefore the heart cannot descend the mountain to go to the spring. And as for the spring, it does not exist within the realm of time. Time only exists for the spring when it receives the gift of a new day from the heart. And when the day approaches its end, the heart and the spring share beautiful parables and poems of love and longing. And the matter of time is created by the righteous men of truth, 
they find their way to the true man of righteousness. And he creates time from their mercy and their wisdom. And as soon as he has finished making one day, he immediately sends that day to the heart of the world. And the heart of the world offers that day to the gift, as a gift to the spring on the mountain. And they tell each other riddles and they sing songs and they recite wondrous poems of longing and pining of the soul. And the disappearing day also departs on the wings of poetry and song. Every day, each and every day is different from the others. There are days of holidays and festivals and there are days of fasting and mourning. Each day has its own song. Each day has its poem for it alone. And so you see, says the stuttering beggar, I am wiser than any of you, including the one who said that he is wise as the day, because he is only as wise as a singular day, whereas I am as wise as all of the days. So too am I the one who brings the righteous men of the earth together and takes them to the great man of truthful righteousness, the man of chesed shel emes, and he in turn makes time from their wisdom, forming days from their riddles and their poetry and their song to offer to the heart of the world so that the heart of the world can offer the time to the spring that emerges from the stone. Verily, I have an affirmation from that same great man, the man of true righteousness, that I know how to tell riddles. I know how to sing songs and I know how to recite poems. I am giving you this ability, says the stuttering beggar, on your wedding day so that you can be as I am. Immediately a great joy and a rejoicing emerged from those who were celebrating the wedding of the lost in the pit dug into the mud covered by trash. They all burst forth into song of praise and they began to dance and sing and they danced the entire night away. To stutter, at least in the language of Chazal, in the language of our rabbis, is to be megamgem. Megamgem, the doubled expression of gam, gam and gam. As we do on Purim, vigam, 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 charbona zachor latov. Gam means also. The stuttering beggar seems to double himself, seems to be incapable of expressing that which he wants to say. But in truth, the struggle itself to express that which needs to be said is also a doubling of that which needs to be said. To say gam twice, that the words that the stuttering beggar needed to convey into the world, that the words that the stuttering beggar wanted to convey to these lost children in the darkness of the forest, and as they're celebrating their joy in the pit, dug into the mud covered in trash is so powerful that it needs to be said more than once. To express the idea singularly and with control over the sounds that emerge out of the voice would not convey 
the intensity and the power of that which needs to be spoken. The intensity and the significance and the power of the utterance of the stuttering beggar is so powerful that it needs to be said twice. It needs to be doubled. It needs to be said once, vigam, and it needs to be said again, megam game, to say it twice, to double the expression. Because this stuttering beggar is in truth expressing words that were too powerful for the world to be willing to hear. Because the words we typically hear, the speech we typically speak, the expressions we typically express, are words, as Rabbi Nachman says in this story, that emerge out of deficiency. They are words that are devoid of the praise of Hashem. Now, the praise of Hashem for Rabbi Nachman is not simply the expression of It's not a question of the content of what I'm saying as to whether my words describe the praise of Hashem, but rather the context in which I say my words. For Rabbi Nachman, the language of the day was oivei. The language of the day was yeyush. The language of the day was expressions of fuelty and expressions of hopelessness. But what Rabbi Nachman taught us, and what he continues to teach us, is that there are ways to express hopelessness, and there are other ways to express hopelessness. One person might express hopelessness that is devoid of the praise of God, a sigh that is rooted in a sense of deficiency and emptiness and loss of hope. And then, as Rabbi Nachman taught us so deeply and so powerfully, there is another way of expressing the loss of hope. And that is by way of screaming at the top of our lungs, Rabbeinu Sha'ag Bekol Gadol, Ein Shum Yeyush Ba'olam Klal. There's no such thing as hopelessness. Because in truth, what Rabbi Nachman seems to have been expressing when he screams at the top of his lungs for the listeners in his time and for the listeners throughout history is the fact that, yes, you will encounter a time and moments where hopelessness is the most reasonable response to that which appears in front of your eyes. But nevertheless, you must be hopeless in a hopeful way. You must take your hopelessness, you must take your despondent speech, you must take the noises that emerge out of deficiency, and you must play them and speak them in such a way that they take the energy of hopelessness, they take that intensity of loss of hope, and they force themselves into reservoirs of hope that we never thought imaginable. To take the broken language of our daily speech, to take the tzabrachenkeit and the tzai and the oivei and the krechs, and to transform it into spiritual activity. Because for Abin Nachman, the sigh of human beings can be transformed into tefillah. Because the sigh for Abin Nachman, that expression of hopelessness, that expression of despondency, when done properly, can express the very delicate, the very, very delicate sense that even though I walk 
on the thread, on the boundary of hopelessness, nevertheless, I walk with hope. That I teeter above the abyss, looking into the possibility of hopelessness, yet nevertheless, as I peer into that abyss, the only voice that emerges is Ein Shum Yeyush Ba'olam Klau. And it's such a powerful sound that it needs to be doubled. It needs to be stuttered. I need to say it twice. The stuttering beggar is living in a world where words no longer convey what they need to convey. Language has lost its purpose. Language has been shattered into a million pieces. And all we find in the world is confusion and mumbling and stuttering. One person pushing against the other. One person frightened in the face of the other. A world that has lost the capacity to convey meaning. A world that seems to have lost its capacity to convey anything significant. Words that signify truth. And the stuttering beggar comes along and he says, you think I don't know how to speak? You think I've lost my ability to speak? In truth, my lack of speech is the sign that there is a speech beyond the deadly speech that we all speak. There is a power of meaning and significance beyond the death of meaning. Because it is specifically in the abysmal space where hope is so meaningless that words of hope actually become meaningful. The stuttering beggar offers us words that are powerful. And how does he know his words are powerful? How does he know his stuttering is not simply the death of speech, but rather the doubled capacity of the power of speech to say something twice, Shnayim mikra v'echad targum, to say it twice because it's so important. How does he know? He receives it from the true man of kindness. And here we encounter the poignant story of the heart of the world and the spring that emerges out of the rock. The two entities, the two parts of the world that need to be in contact with one another that undying sense in each and every one of our hearts that we must connect to something significant. But the terrible and depressing truth of the story is that the spring of the world and the heart of the world can never reach one another. Their words can never be direct. The language can never be pe el pe. We can never truly say what we need to say. We can never find the power to say the true word, the essential word. We can never convey to the other exactly what it is that is in our hearts of, our, of hearts. And we are cursed to live in a world of misunderstanding, of bilbul, of the migdal bavel, of misunderstanding what the other is trying to say. But what the stuttering beggar comes and teaches us is that the very distance that keeps the spring of the world and the heart of the world separate from one another gives birth to speech, gives birth to true words.
it is only in the absence of connectivity. It is only when we mind the gap, separating the spring of the world and the heart of the world, that our words can take on meaning. Because if the spring of the world and the heart of the world were to find true unity, then there would no longer be a concept of distance. And it is distance itself that gives birth to speech. The need for communication, for dialogue, only exists when there are two entities. Self-speech is not dialogue. It is self-aggrandizement. It is only when we mind the gap between who we are and what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that we find the space for the birthplace of speech. That Dibor, that our words of longing and desire after HaKadosh Baruch Hu, our crying and our sighing after HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is only possible because we still live in a space of distance because we still live in a space of concealment. But what the stuttering beggar is trying to teach us is that this concealment, or as my dear friend Rabbi Eli Cole points out, this poorly written poem, it is only emerging out of the distance that needs to be minded, the distance that exists between human beings and God, between our doubts and the clarity that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has between the longing of the spring of the world and the heart of the world, is what gives birth to the shiros v'tishbachos. It is only by way of our encountering distance, our encountering concealment, our encountering disconnection, that we can move into those spaces of hopelessness, find the emotions that are elicited within that space, only to emerge with the ferocity and the strength of screaming out that even though my words don't seem to convey anything, even though my words appear to be go on deaf ears, even though in the space where I hope to find communication, I find misinterpretation, even though where I hope to find clarity, I find concealment, nevertheless, it is that language that language that exists and that is born within the gap between Hashem and our world, between clarity and anxiety, between calmness and chaos, it is that speech which gives us strength to connect to Hashem. Because it is only in Gullus that, that, that we are able to speak. In a time of Geula, there is no speech. In a time of, of Geula, it is Panim Lepanim face to face. And as the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya teaches us, that halavai, it should only be that the way I grasped you in Gullus is available to me in times of Geula. I should be zoichet to experience you, Hashem, as intensely as I experienced you in Gullus in the times of Geula. Because our relationship with Hashem is born in that irreducible distance that exists between what we want and what is. 
the desire that gives birth to our broken speech, to our doubled utterances, to, for our need to say things once and twice once again, that absence, that concealment, that brokenness, that miscommunication is what gives us the strength to speak true words of praise as the stuttering better offers to the children. And as we find ourselves once again buried in the pit in the mud, trying to find joy covered in dirt, trying to find connectivity in a time of disconnection, trying to find light in a time of darkness, it is incumbent upon us to be willing to accept the gifts that these beggars offer us, to accept the gift of stuttering, to accept the gift that it is specifically as a result of my inability to say a direct word, to say a word of truth, that I encounter the imaginative speech of trying to bridge that irreducible gap between me and Hashem. And the hope is, as Rabbi Nachman teaches us, that as we live in that void, as we live in that halal hapanui, separating us from HaKadosh Baruch Hu Atzmo, we should be zoycha to utter one true sigh, one true tear, one true krechs, one true expression of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Givalt, where are you? Givalt, where are you? Givalt, I'm lost. Givalt, I'm stuck. Givalt, I don't even know what to say anymore. Because those utterances, those stutterings, those doubled expressions of speech are indicative and expressive of the truest desire of our own hearts to connect to the true source of life, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. And Be'ezrus Hashem, on Wednesday we're going to encounter the next beggar to receive the next gift. We're going to encounter the crooked-necked beggar who's going to teach us how to breathe, who's going to teach us how to tape an inhale and to hold our breath and to feel the pain of expiration, to feel the pain of breathlessness only for the sake of truly appreciating the power of breath that emerges after the breathlessness of anxiety and fear. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.